broadcasting on the Drug Truth Network, this is Cultural Baggage. It's not only inhumane, it is really fundamentally un-American. My name is Dean Becker. I don't condone or encourage the use of any drugs, legal or illegal. I report the unvarnished truth about the pharmaceutical, banking, prison, and judicial nightmare that feeds on eternal drug war. Hello, my friends. Welcome to this edition of Cultural Baggage. On today's show, Mr. San Ho Tree. He's the director of the uh, Drug Policy uh, Project at the Institute for Policy Studies in Washington, D.C. Hello, San Ho. Hi, Dean. Uh, yes, sir. You've just returned from a, a trip to Colombia. And uh, if you will, kind of outline uh, the trip and, and tell us about it. Well, the uh, the region I went to is Putumayo, which is the southern province of Colombia, and it's the epicenter of the, the war on drugs, the U.S. focus on the war on drugs. And it's a province that's been hammered very, very hard by U.S. aerial fumigation policies. So we sprayed uh, just an unprecedented amount of herbicide, um, and the results have been dismal. There are more drugs than ever in, in terms of overall in Colombia. We forced the, the cultivation of coca from that province to neighboring provinces, and, and, and indeed throughout Colombia and, and other countries. But the human effects of this have been absolutely horrendous. This is the ninth trip I've taken to Colombia since 2000, beginning of 2001, and the fifth trip I've taken to Putumayo. And in, in many ways, this is the most depressing of the trips. We see the results of this drug war here in the U.S. Uh, it's kind of spread across the country. It doesn't come to focus somehow. It doesn't garner the attention that I, that I think it deserves. The 1.6 million people arrested here is, is too scattered, I guess, to draw our attention. But in Colombia, the uh, evidence of uh, our policy and its impact on their nation is perhaps more glaring, is it not? Oh, absolutely. Um, it, it's, a, it's a reality people have to live with on a daily basis in, 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 in parts of Colombia, especially rural Colombia. And we have fumigated, we have sprayed this very um, potent herbicide. You can buy a very diluted form of it in your hardware store called Roundup. But we have sprayed a very potent version of this over 1.6 million acres of Colombia. This is the second most biodiverse country in the world, and we've, we've basically scorched, practiced a scorched earth policy. Uh, put it in a term that, that Americans might relate to, if you've ever been to New York, uh, we have sprayed approximately 2,600 times the area of Central Park in New York. And it hasn't made a damn bit of difference in terms of the price, the purity, the availability of cocaine on the streets of the United States. We squandered more than $4.2 billion on, on this, and it's not produced any negligible, any noticeable results. There were uh, some reports over the last few weeks very much in that regard uh, showing the Congress is looking at the continuance of that funding and, and people are starting to take note of the uh, lack of progress, right? Yes, I've talked to Republican staffers in Congress actually since I've been back and, and they've been very dismayed by the results of this. That the drug warriors in the State Department and the U.S. Embassy um, have tried to put lipstick on this pig for, for too many years <laughs> and they're not falling for it anymore. They're, the Plan Columbia was originally going to be a five-year plan. The idea was to half the, the, the output of, 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 of cocaine from Colombia, of, of coca cultivation in Colombia, over five years. 
And in fact, the, the cultivation has actually gone up uh, year after year. This is this has been a disaster. And one of the reasons for that is that our, our policy of eradication of aerial fumigation interdiction functions as a form of unintended price support. It's it's, it's kind of a price uh, crop subsidy. Uh, and people in, in farming regions will understand this very well. That we've tried to artificially constrict the supply of this of this drug, while the demand remains the same, thereby driving up profits and luring more people into this economy. And in Colombia, about half to, to two-thirds of the population lives below the official poverty line, which is about $2 a day. So we're talking about a lot of poor people, in, not only in Colombia, but all over South America. And you will never make a crop like coca or poppy disappear by making it more valuable, which is what our eradication policies do. And you talked about the scorched earth process there. That that uh, what it does is drive people further into the jungles. I understand they've even been spraying uh, some of the national parks, wasting the environment as they they do this. Absolutely. The, the the problem here is that these campesinos, these peasant farmers, don't have other alternatives. They're living in very remote areas. There are no roads to speak of. Um, there's no way to, to access uh, legal markets for, for, legitimate, for legal crops. And so they grow coca. And coca is a very viable crop for these people uh, because they, they are able to convert that into coca paste, which is the crude form of cocaine that the traffickers will buy from them and, 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 and refine into pure cocaine for smuggling outside of Colombia. But this coca paste is easy to carry in a backpack. You can carry it to the nearest village and sell it. And instead, we are demanding that these peasant farmers grow hundreds of pounds of legal uh, food crops and, and vegetables and fruits to transport in vehicles they don't have over roads that literally don't exist, to sell in markets both domestic and, and export that they don't have access to. And even if they did, to compete against an international global economy, that is to say agribusiness imports, very often subsidized by our tax dollars, against which these peasant farmers don't stand a chance. So what farmers in, in Texas or Georgia or California would grow hundreds of, of, of kilos of fruits and vegetables if they had no vehicles, no markets, no way to, to make a profit? Who, who farms to go out of business? And that's what our State Department has demanded these, these farmers do, and it hasn't been working. Um, they live in very remote areas, and that's very difficult to understand from, from a U.S. standpoint. Uh, we're used to having roads and electricity and water and all these conveniences, uh, but they simply don't exist in, in, in so much of Latin America. Uh, you uh, you told me, I, hopefully we're going to uh, travel to Bolivia this, uh, this uh, fall, and uh, I, I'll get a chance to... Uh do a little bit of uh, video capture down there and and uh, help my new program. But you said were I to have taken those cameras to Colombia, chances are I would have found no one willing to talk about the problem because the 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 cartels or the traffickers have that much control. Well, it's not so much the traffickers, but the the armed actors, which is to say the left wing guerrillas and the right wing paramilitary death squads, uh, and, and and indeed the Colombian government um, and the traffickers. They all have, uh, they all practice intimidation. And so these poor peasant farmers are caught in this horrible situation where they're damned if they do and damned if they don't. If they stop growing coca, the guerrillas and the right wing paramilitary say, ah, well, you know, they, and they get a lot of their revenue from, from taxing the coca. Uh, and they say, ah, you don't support us. So, you know, you're in trouble. On the other hand, if they do grow it, the Colombian government says you're criminals and will fumigate you, will destroy your crops, and, and you're left with nothing. Uh, you know, and, and so these 
these poor peasant farmers are just caught in, in a horrible bind here. Now, let's talk about uh, what, I don't know, it's, it's hard to recommend the solution. This is such a worldwide problem. What, what can we do? How can we bring focus to bear on this problem and, and maybe help bring about some solutions? Well, first of all, I think um, people in the United States, especially the U.S. Congress, needs to, to learn a lot more about the rest of the world. Um, I, I can't tell you how many times I've listened to the congressional debates about uh, over Columbia aid, and members of Congress have gotten, you know, just stood on the floor of the House and demanded that we go down there and wipe out this cocoa. <laughs> you know, Coco, you know, what, what has Swiss Miss ever done to us? <laughs> you know, everyone, knows, everyone knows that Swiss are neutral. Um, Coco is where we get chocolate from. Coca is where we get cocaine from. Uh, and so there's, there's a tremendous level of ignorance, uh, both in the Congress and the United States at, at large. And so, first of all, we need to get our facts straight. We need to learn a little bit, little bit about geography. There's an old joke that, that war is God's way of, of teaching Americans about geography. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there's some truth to that. Um, there's a lot of ignorance to overcome here. Exactly right. Um, but I, I guess what what keeps me moving is the fact that I think more and more people are beginning to uh, observe. They're beginning to understand and realize that they've been duped that that there there's got to be a better way because what we've been doing it has no chance of success uh, absolutely you know Juan Ferrero in the New York Times on August Saturday August 19th wrote a great great piece about the failure of Plan Colombia that ha hasn't made any any difference in terms of the availability of drugs and it's caused a lot of collateral damage in, in Colombia and and turned um, a nation against us these people, uh, there's a lot of hatred toward the United States now because of this. That, uh, why are the gringos, they ask, why are the gringos spending $4 billion on this when it hasn't done any good for them? And, but, but it's only destroyed our, 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 our livelihoods down here. Um, why don't they give that money instead to helping us produce real crops, legitimate crops, illegal crops? Um, but, again, the, the alternative development is always shortchanged in favor of eradication. So that, that the narcotics affairs section in the embassy, in, in the U.S. Embassy in Bogota, gets the lion's share of aid. So they get about $4 million a week to eradicate uh, or try to eradicate these crops in Colombia. Uh, but, you know, the, uh, Colombia has the, the second worst refuge, internal refugee problem in the world outside of Sudan. They're called internally displaced people. They're not called refugees because they haven't crossed an international border. But roughly, the embassy was saying 4 million people, uh, which is higher than I've ever heard. Uh, Four million people out of a, of a population of about 41 million people in Colombia are internal, internally displaced, internal refugees. Uh, they've been forced off their land because of the conflict as well as the, as the fumigation. And so they, all these people get about $30 million a year, whereas eradication gets $4 million a week. So Congress has its proportions completely, uh, his priorities completely out of proportion. Well, and, and that... That is the case. I mean, we, you mentioned earlier that these uh, uh, politicians had a five-year plan, and there have been over the decades many of these five-year plans that were supposed <laughs> to uh, negate or, or, you know, squelch the, the flow of these drugs, but none of them have ever worked. The politicians move on, and a new crew comes up with a new five-year plan. Is that yeah. a fair assessment? Yeah, this is a fantasy on the part of politicians. Uh, it's about grandstanding. It's about looking tough on drugs and tough on narco-terrorism, so-called narco-terrorism, in front of their constituents, but it has very little to do with reality. 
And so I recall back in 1998, um, the House passed the, the Western Hemisphere Drug Elimination Act, uh, which in a couple of years was supposed to eliminate drugs from this hemisphere. <laughs> right. This is the kind of a fantasy politicians live under. And so uh, the Senate passed the Drug-Free Century Act. You know, the, <laughs> they, they do this over and over again. It's about looking tough um, in front of their constituents at election time. Um, these politicians are terrified of being uh, swift-boated, if you will, uh, of being uh, uh, smeared as being soft on drugs. And because of that, they will vote for any ludicrous program uh, that comes around just because they're afraid not to. It's a, it's a lot like the war on terror uh, or, or the gang issue. Um, politicians basically want to look tough. Uh, but being tough is not the same as being effective. And I think we're deluding ourselves to think that we can coerce our way out of this problem. Exactly. Now, uh, you know, I take the leap stance. If we want to take away the funding for the terrorists, the cartels, and the gangs, legalize drugs. If you want to take away the children's easy access and cut down on uh, overdose deaths and hep C cases, legalize drugs. And yet, that cannot seem to gain traction within the halls of Congress. Why do you think that is? <laughs> You know, Congress worships at the altar of the free market. They're willing to sacrifice their firstborn uh, for the laws <laughs> of supply and demand. Yeah. And yet, when it comes to the drug war, they throw the law of supply and demand out the window. Um, it's, it's as if we were trying to design an irrigation system on the assumption that water flows uphill. <laughs> it's not going to do that. And so when they try to constrict the supply of drugs while the demand remains essentially constant, uh, all it does is drive up the prices for these drugs, and it draws more people into the drug economy. Um, but they're afraid that, that it's, it's difficult to articulate an alternative in a soundbite, right? Yeah. And so it's very easy to run a 15-second attack ad during election season to smear your opponent, to say that they're soft on drugs, that they know where the drugs are coming from, and they refuse to help you know, the Colombian government fight this scourge. Uh, send me to Washington. I'll fight this. I'll approve this aid. We'll clean up this mess and protect your kids. Members of Congress, on the other hand, have to think of, of ways to counter that, that, that smear, which is going to air over and over and over again during election season on TV, on radio. And if they're lucky, uh, an incumbent member of Congress will get, get maybe 30 seconds or 60 seconds on a 6 o'clock news to explain to all their constituents why they voted against this very complex aid package and why it's such a disaster. And so unless they can communicate a paradigm shift in a soundbite, they tend to vote for, for these, these knee-jerk uh, proposals. Well, that uh, little soundbite I got there, I've been working on it. I got it down to about 20 or 30 seconds. And <laughs> maybe I can offer it up to some congressmen here this uh, coming session. Speaking of which, uh, a couple of our good friends, uh, Mr. Cliff Thornton, uh, uh, Mr. Kevin Zeese, are running for office, uh, major office here in the U.S. And I, I guess my, my thoughts are the Institute for Policy Studies, you guys try to... I, I don't know, just clarify things to make it possible for people to make a better uh, observation, perhaps uh, help build a better society. Is that uh, kind of what you guys are up to? Yeah, and, and we are a nonprofit organization, so I don't, we don't take positions on, on elected uh, office or pending legislation explicitly. So, you know, but I know Cliff Lorton, I know Kevin Zeese, they're, they're friends of mine, and they're, they're just wonderful people, uh, and I applaud their efforts. 
personally speaking. You know, yeah. um, it's it's a shame that you know we in this country trumpet democracy. Uh, we love it so much. We're going to export it to other countries, whether they want it or not. And yet, you know, the Eskimos, for instance, have have two dozen words or so to describe snow. We have two words to describe democracy in our country: Democrat or Republican. <laughs> and yet, every human society that's ever existed has found a different way to organize its politics, its culture, its economy. Uh, there's a whole spectrum of possibilities, from fascism on one end to to anarchism on the other. And yet, we're not allowed to consider any of those possibilities except these two very narrow choices that are increasingly so close on the political spectrum that Kate Moss couldn't squeeze between them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's the poverty of our political discourse, and it carries over into the way we talk about drug policy. Either you're for zero tolerance and prohibition, or you want to sell heroin and candy machines to children. And yet there's a whole (laughs) spectrum of regulatory possibilities that we could focus on. Well, I want, I want to thank you for joining us. We've been speaking with Mr. Sanho Tree, the director of the Drug Policy Project at the Institute for Policy Studies in Washington, D.C. Uh, as we go out here, Sanho, give them your, your website. It's uh, www.ips-dc.org. Sanho Tree, thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Dean. Thank right. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's time to play Name That Drug by its side effects. Constipation, dizziness, dry mouth, insomnia, loss of appetite, nausea, nervousness, sexual side effects, sleepiness, sweating, weakness, agitation, irritability, hostility, impulsiveness, restlessness, high blood pressure, depression, and suicide. Time's up. The answer from Wyeth Pharmaceuticals for depression. Effexor XR. Warning, the government doesn't want you to hear this ad. Because they're embarrassed. They funded research indicating marijuana doesn't cause lung cancer and might even prevent cancer. Government research also found medical uses for marijuana and no one has ever died of a marijuana overdose. The more research the government conducts, the more they undermine their own war on marijuana users. Visit the Marijuana Policy Project Foundation at joinmpp.org or call toll-free 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Poppygate, bizarre news about the U.S. policy on controlling heroin, featuring Glenn Greenway. Afghanistan narcotics production has nearly doubled again this year as the country continues sliding towards chaos. Suicide bombings, roadside ambushes, and even large-scale Taliban assaults are reported almost every day. Afghanistan's black market white heroin fuels the so-called insurgency while filling the syringes of nearly all heroin consumers worldwide. When the U.S. invaded Afghanistan in 2001, heroin production was about 100 pounds daily. Now, after five years of American occupation, daily Afghan heroin production is approaching two tons. Republican Mark Kirk this week called U.S. anti-narcotics effort a disaster. Representative Kirk is planning to step up calls in Congress for aerial spraying of the poppy fields next week. The respected European think tank, the Selness Council, responded, quote, We have pictures of starving kids because the fields of their parents have been eradicated and those people are turning back to the Taliban, end quote. Finally this week, noted drug policy researcher Peter Dale Scott alleges that Halliburton, the corporate darling of the Bush administration, is involved in the Afghan narcotics trade. This is Glenn Greenway reporting for the Drug Truth Network. The flying pan is a failure. 
The Office of National Drug Control Policy has limited power and influence in Washington and among the public. This fact was underscored recently with the release of a report from the Government Accountability Office last week on ONDCP's anti-drug media campaign. For the past several years, researchers with Westat and the Annenberg School for Communication have worked to analyze the effectiveness of the media campaign. Each report has shown that ONDCP's ad campaign fails to impact drug use by youth. The only positive in any of these reports has been among parents who report that they are motivated to be better, more involved parents because of the ads. Yet even that finding is questionable. Parents claim to engage in more positive parenting, yet their children dispute that, reporting little or no changes. Each time one of these reports has come out, ONDCP's response has been to attack the survey and to claim that their new ads are different, new and improved, as they see in advertising. Yet each survey has come back with the same finding. The ads fail. We have spent more than a billion dollars on this failing ad campaign. The drug czar is asking us yet again to throw even more money down that rat hole this budget season, to which there can be only one response. Just say no. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Doug McVeigh, editor of DrugWarFacts.org. This is Phil Smith of the Drug War Chronicle with this week's corrupt cop story for the Drug Truth Network. I want to preface this week's story by saying that although we call this corrupt cops, our scope is actually broader. If you're in law enforcement in any capacity, from jail guard to judge, you're within our purview. Likewise, if you're in the military and your mission is drug control and you're smuggling coke out of Columbia, you'll make our role of dishonor. We don't generally pick on people because they have a drug habit. For instance, this week I didn't mention the Spokane cop who got himself arrested buying pot-laced cookies at a rock concert. He may be guilty of hypocrisy, but not necessarily be corrupt in the sense we use the word. But this week we are going to pick on a judge with a bad habit in part because he regularly passes judgment on drug users in his court, but also just because it's such a damn juicy story. In Carrollton, Alabama, speed-freaking Pickens County District Court Judge Ira Colvin is in trouble again. Uh, regular readers of uh, this week's Corrupt Cops will recall that Judge Colvin was arrested just two weeks ago on meth and meth precursor charges in neighboring Lowndes County, Mississippi, with a woman not his wife. And speaking of Colvin's wife, she was arrested on similar charges a few months earlier. The judge himself was arrested again Saturday morning on Alabama meth possession charges based on the discovery of a stash in his office at the Pickens County Judicial Center on August 15th, the day after his Mississippi arrest. His office was searched at the orders of Circuit Judge James Moore to ensure the safety of courthouse employees, he said. According to the Tuscaloosa News, Pickens County officials said they had been investigating Colvin's alleged drug use since May. He was suspended as a judge and is out on bond on both the Mississippi and Alabama charges. And in late news uh, comes word that Colvin resigned Wednesday. As always, there are more corrupt cop stories. This week we've got a pair of drug dealing, excuse me, drug dealer robbing cops in Chicago. They're copping pleas. We've got a pair of coke carrying U.S. Marshals in Houston who are getting sentenced. We've got a small-town Texas chief of police losing his job over missing drug money. Check them all out online at our new revamped interactive website, complete with the speakeasy, where you can talk back to us at www.stopthedrugwar.org. Next up, we're going to hear from Terry Nelson. He's got 32 years' experience working for the U.S. government as a border, customs, and air interdiction officer. He retired last year as a GS-14, the equivalent of a bird colonel. Fall elections are only two months away. 
So look for more announcements of large drug arrests that culminate the proverbial two-year investigation. More picture taken with the drugs, money, and the prosecutors grandstanding and telling the public what great work they have been doing. We've been subjected to these press conferences for the past 30 years, and if the policy does not change, we will have another 30 years of them. I will share with you the latest news from the DEA's website. Last week, another of the Arellano Phoenix brothers was arrested. What are the odds that this will break the back of the Tijuana cartel? Not nearly as good as the odds that there will be a new round of killings until a new hierarchy is established. Or even worse, a rival cartel attempts to move in, and then Baja California can be more like New Laredo. According to DEA in Sacramento, agents also seized more than 6,000 marijuana plants from seven Elk Grove homes last night as part of a continuing investigation into a rash of indoor marijuana growing operations in Elk Grove. The seizures last night bring the total to 14 indoor marijuana groves and 10,000 marijuana plants that have been seized from Elk Grove area homes this month. The seizure of this many indoor groves in such a short period of time and with this level of sophistication is unprecedented, said the DEA spokesman. Over 35 law enforcement officers from the Elk Grove Police Department and the DEA served federal warrants at seven single-family Elk Grove residents last night, resulting in the seizure of seven indoor groves and 6,120 marijuana plants. No one lived at any of the homes, and based upon the indoor grove and the 10,000 plants seized thus far in this investigation, it's estimated these growing operations would have produced approximately 10,000 pounds of marijuana on an annual basis. The street value of 10,000 pounds is approximately $40 million, according to the DEA. Notice how each bus is larger than the last, or unprecedented. Does this look like progress to you? Okay. So they got 14 grower operations. That only leaves about 10,000 more to go if no other operations start to replace the ones busted. What do you think the odds are on that happening? Anyone that wants to, to can see this as a never-ending effort and a useless drain on our police resources. The police resources would be better utilized to work on crimes which have victims. The current war on drugs is a failed public policy that has no chance of ever working. The money wasted because of this failed policy could be better spent on more productive solutions to the drug problem. Drugs are too dangerous to be left in the hands of criminals. What is the solution? Legalization, regulation, and control of all drugs. The criminal gangs must be removed from the distribution chain, and then the associated violence will also stop. Then we can educate instead of incarcerate and deal with the drug problem. It's time for a change. Together, let's find a solution for our future. This is Terry Nelson on behalf of LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, at www.leap.cc, signing off. Okay, once again, I want to thank uh, San Ho Tree, the director of the Drug Policy Project at the Institute for Policy Studies. Let's see if I still got his website, ips-dc.org. A uh, couple of quick news items. Uh, one is the drug czar is added again. He's in Nevada. The DEA is trying to collect public funds with which to start a campaign to stop uh, the good folks at the Marijuana Policy Project and others from uh, getting a law passed to allow people to possess up to one ounce. So they're, they not only get billions through the U.S. government, they're trying to raise money independently as well. Here's a quick story. A Spokane police officer resigned. He reportedly ate marijuana cookies, and uh, a couple of his uh, fellow officers saw him eat a couple of $1 cookies at a rock concert. And uh, the, the uh, schools in uh, Alaska are trying to um, bring a suit to bear on a young man who held up a sign which said, Bong hit 
hearts for Jesus. And they've invested thousands upon thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands in lawyer fees. The kid wasn't even on school. It wasn't a school day, etc., etc. The the school just thought it necessary to stop that uh, free speech. Uh, real quick note, I'm uh, just finishing up the edit on my new uh, DVD production from Seattle, uh, Hemp Fest. It features interview with Ethan Nadelman, head of the Drug Policy Alliance, Norm Stamper, former police chief of Seattle, and about a dozen other drug policy leaders. We examine the term counterculture and wonder why if we are why if we are the ones uh, glorifying peace freedom liberty and a true democracy we are denounced as a counterculture and if you have some influence or the wherewithal to get this one hour video broadcast on your local college or access channel please send me an email to dean at drugtruth.net tell me where you'll air the program and i'll send you a copy free of charge i want to encourage you to visit my website drug truth.net there you can hear hundreds of these programs with doctor scientists lawyers and many others and if you want to get involved go to endprohibition.org there you can join up with about a dozen of the best reform organizations on the planet and as always i remind you that because of drug prohibition you don't know what's in that bag please be careful to the drug truth network listeners around the world on behalf of engineer philip guffey this is dean becker for cultural baggage and the unvarnished truth the show produced at the pacifica studios of kpft houston tap dancing on the edge of